arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. million dollar man two miles in 12 seconds that's pretty good when I wrote Cron Man I was not overly influenced by the six million dollar man starring Lee Majors based upon Cyborg by Martin Caden I think we're all influenced in some way by what we see in the media as well as the real world while Randy may have Steve Austin's powers in some respects he's not bionic but rather an alien configuration I thought it important that the military verify what Randy can and cannot do. He works closely with Lieutenant Fogarty and then in a new operations area. Again, Randy is still the same guy personality-wise that he was before the alien abduction, but with awesome powers and abilities. With Junior involved in a sophisticated plot and the President set to speak in Camden Bay, trouble is looming. Let's get into it, folks. Episode 3 of The Braun Man by Robert P. Fitton is on the way. Chapter 13. Locarno, Switzerland, August 18th, 2021, 2.45 p.m. Well, this is a beautiful village, said Dutch. We're just passing through, Dutch. Don't make any reservations. I like Switzerland. Well, la-di-da. Junior walked with him under a cluster of tall palms in a long dock area. The village buildings formed a linear sweep toward the glacier-cut mountains below the lake. Are you sure there's not going to be any interference with the money transfers, Dutch? Dutch stopped in front of a dozen little boats below the main walkway. Junior, there comes a time when you just stand back and you let things flow. Yeah, that's how suckers go down. Now answer my friggin' question. Dutch stared at him and then shook his head. It will be transferred safely, damn it. I don't trust anyone, including Kova. Junior lifted his sunglasses. Where the hell is that boat? Obviously, it's late. Thanks for the newsflash, Dutch. Junior felt a hand on his shoulder in a distinct German voice. Good afternoon, Mr. Janus. Uh, I trust you're enjoying Switzerland? A thin man with comb-back gray hair stood next to a shorter man with a full beard. Who the hell are you? asked Junior. That is of little importance. We only have a few questions. I don't have to answer any questions, right, Dutch? Just hear what I have to say, Mr. Janus. We are trying to track down a Mr. Fournier, said the other man in a deep voice. So, what the hell do you want me to do about it? The White Lake cruiser had rounded the knoll and was heading for the docks. We are there of your meeting at Club 4712 in Dubai. I meet with a lot of people, pal. You have any identification? We do, said the shorter man, but he never produced it. I'm working a deal, but that's none of your business. 
We have a boat to catch. The shorter man stepped forward. You, Mr. Janice, are going to tell the truth. Junior had a nine millimeter pointed at the older guy. Get lost, creep. You get on that boat or I'll kill both of you and they'll never find the bodies. You got it? You're playing with fire, Mr. Janice, said the bearded man. So are you. Now beat it. He watched them retreat along the buildings. Then he turned to Dutch. The hell are we being trailed for? Perhaps we should return the money to Kovar. I ain't returning nothing. He stepped toward the boat. Let's get on the boat, Dutch. Then we'll get off before it leaves. Then what? Find an airport. We fly to Italy. What about the two men? Kovar's money is part of our Washington access. I'm not going to have two kraut doodle brains messing it up. Chapter 14. Nevada Proving Grounds, Test Area 14, August 18th, 2021, 1.19 p.m. Randy's speed increased, sweeping up the desert dirt as his inflated physique whooshed across the valley floor. He slowed like a stone being dropped into a vat of molasses. Briggs and Fogarty sat under a canopy and checked the readings on laptops. Randy's body returned to normal. Two miles in 12 seconds! said Fogarty. She stood and leaned over the computer. Dr. Johansson, we're ready. Johansson, a doctor in his 20s, emerged with two nurses from the complex. Into the examining room. You didn't even break a sweat, said Briggs. Again, said Randy. He removed the makeshift sun goggles, but he put them back on. Brightness seems to blind my eyes. Fogarty ran her fingers over his forehead. It's 93 out here, not even sweating. Special Munitions is working on a form-fitting shield for your eyes. They followed the group into the air-conditioned building. What about my metabolism? She held out a Snickers bar and he laughed. Thanks. Same as before. You require this extraordinary surge in sugar and protein. You don't even feel tired or affected by what you just did. You said you liked chocolate. Ghirardelli chocolate. The milk and the dark chocolate. I stop by there every time I'm in San Francisco. The Golden Gate Bridge. I've never been there. We were in San Diego when I was in the service, but you already know that, I'm sure. I can bring you to Giardelli's once we get this project in place. The Cronman Project? The Randy Project. She held his elbow briefly as she escorted him down the corridor to the examining room. Where are you from, Fogarty? They stopped at the door. Do you think a woman who works in a highly classified project is going to answer that question? Maybe, said Randy with a lip smile. She put her hand on her hips and gave him a phony grimace as he moved into the side examining room. Johansson and his team looked up from a long counter with monitors and computers. Well, you just burnt 1,500 calories on that jaunt from Hawkeye Peak, said Johansson. Well, I'm not surprised. I have the refrigerator filled with goodies and more Snickers around the way. Randy sat on the exam table. A nurse wrapped a blood cuff around his bicep. The cuff tightened. Yeah, don't break that cuff, joked Johansson in back of the computer. I'll be good. 125 over 68, heartbeat 59. Johansson stood. Incredible. One of the other doctors moved along the counter. Your blood work is textbook. With all that candy, said Johansson, I'm shocked, Dr. Kaufman. From what you guys at MIT are telling me, 
Your metabolism is in control from somewhere else through a tiny sliver of metal in your abdomen. We can't monitor it and we can't track it, but uh, it emits no power. Well, then how do you know? Oh, you don't know 100%, said Kaufman. We don't even dare take it out. Kaufman handed him a Snickers. It's important that you are, shall we say, always powered up. Muscle fibers and tissue are nominal, said Rona Herbert, a little blonde doctor about 30 feet away down the counter. Yet an enhanced view of the shield shows a solid nature. They walked down to her larger monitor. That solid material is hollow. It shouldn't be there. I don't think anything could penetrate the shield, and we have no explanation for that either. And you're saying it's all coming from another dimension? asked Randy. She nodded and pressed her lips. The side door opened. Randy thought Fogarty might be returning to the room. Briggs, holding his cell phone, took long strides into the room. He waved Randy up front. Randy looked outside across the dried-up desert landscape. What's up, Colonel? Decker. What now? asked Randy, tightening his face. No, complaints about our operation. You're kidding. They received some intel, which I have since confirmed. Junior Janus has been moving money around Switzerland. Randy sat on the long window air conditioner. So what? They're looking for this Fournier, but they can't locate him. Then the name is Phony, he said. Maybe. No, probably. They've monitored calls by Janus to the committee to re-elect the president. They connected the two? Briggs shook his head. Then again, if it wasn't Swiss accounts... The money is now in U.S. banks. They don't know whether it was moved by courier or how it was done. Decker said his contacts have shown him deposits from five separate countries. Is that the Richardson angle of my abduction? I wish I could be of more help. Well, we could bring in Dr. Wenzel again, maybe when we get back to Camden Bay. He looked over Randy's shoulder. Let me know if you remember anything related to what I just told you. Now, I think your meal ticket has arrived. Ahead, Fogarty wore a denim baseball hat and a sea-green two-tone jumpsuit. She sat in a golf cart and hit the horn twice. Been slaving over a hot stove, Fogarty? Well, life is not all Snickers bars. I have a full Italian meal. Go ahead, Randy, said Briggs. We're still analyzing the testing from this morning. Thank you, Colonel. He walked into the corridor and climbed into the passenger's side. You know how to drive this thing? Buckle up, buddy. The car hummed away quickly and down the corridor. Randy held the side support. Then he looked at the food boxes in the container area as they moved down the long corridor. Above and beyond the call of duty, Fogarty. Yeah, well, just make sure you leave some for me. The commissary overlooked the purple mountains to the west. Fogarty had pulled the thin linear blinds. Randy savored the spicy meatballs he slowly chewed. President Richardson, the United Nations' green marbleized background behind him, spoke in a steady cadence. You know, Eddie says Richardson sounds like da duke da duke John Wayne. He sounds nothing like John Wayne. Consider the source. Hey, Fogarty, this is very good. But we're 300 miles from anywhere. How did you get it? Well, there is a road and trucks and a landing strip. General Slater just touched down. Oh. Well, it's still good. How old are you? Same age as you. Not, not married? married? They said at the same time. Why? Why? You first, said Fogarty. Her name was Mindy, and she left while I was in the service. 
Fogarty twisted her lips. I've got no story. I'm a nerd with a PhD who came into this program because of expertise. Then you must have had a boyfriend. Kind of. In a city far, far away, he said as she smiled. She stood and brought the plates over to the sink. I dated this guy named Kyle. Kyle? What did he do? <laughs> Not much. She sat down and leaned forward. I really don't know, but what about you? What happened? Randy glanced at the president. Mindy just went off the track like she became a different person. Sorry. It's one of those things that you can never know why it happened. She nodded slowly and then she headed for the refrigerator. I know it's still in the high 80s outside, but I have... She opened the freezer and pulled out a white box. And... An ice cream cake. She set it on the table. I knew you'd absorb the calories. As she got the plates, Randy turned up the monitor volume. The United States must continue to lead. As president, I'm not saying coerce, bully, or impose our will on any nation of the Middle East. But I will point out injustice. And I will raise my voice against violence. And I will shout down those who stomp on basic human rights. I do not speak of a modern theory or an old, archaic form of government. Instead, I speak of eternal truths, unalienable rights that do not change with administrations. Respect for the opinions of mankind require that we stand up to tyranny. Whether in the Middle East or Middle America, let us go forward with strength, with resolve, and with justice for one and all. Thank you very much. Briggs walked with the taller General Slater. Randy and Fogarty both quickly stood and saluted. At ease, Commander, Lieutenant. And which way will the President's strong words lead the world? asked Slater. Briggs shrugged his shoulders. Are you looking forward to going home, Randy? Yes, sir. Can I get you some ice cream cake, General? I'll pass on that. Colonel? Briggs gestured with his hands. You can work at the garage as if nothing had happened. I feel confident that optics on this have been reversed with the help of your sister and Detective Ridden. Harry Ridden is going home soon. He may be back at work in a few weeks. Excellent. What about Decker? Asked Randy as Fogarty placed a good portion of the ice cream pie on his plate. He's upset I was thinking about the president when I woke up. Well, the last time I looked, said Briggs, thinking about the president isn't on the books for a crime. Slater's smile rose diagonally. Well, with Alvin, it's a high crime. I worry about him probing about what we've learned in Wyoming. It is none of his business, sir, said Briggs. The details of the Middle East attacks, according to Randy's hypnosis, have gone to the proper planners at the Pentagon. They don't need to know the genesis of the information. Now, after all, Randy, we don't know whether Richardson causes the attacks or... The attacks have begun because he's been removed. Randy shoveled the ice cream in as he spoke. I'm not going to do anything against the president. I know that, but we're dealing with powers here that no one understands. Wenzel has given his opinion to the best of his ability. Briggs stepped forward. If Decker approaches you in Camden Bay, just answer his questions the way we've rehearsed it. Assure him and his team that you have no recollection to specific things about the president, which you don't, 
and we've submitted Dr. Wenzel's report to him confirming that fact. My own report will clear you of any association with this mystery man, Fournier, including Junior Janus, especially Janus. Fogarty smiled cautiously at Randy. Well, we'll let you finish your dinner, said Slater. Report back to the exam room at 1800 hours. Yes, sir. Randy stood and saluted the general. Slater returned the salute, and he and Briggs left via the corridor door. Fogarty disposed of the paper plates. She returned to the table and led Randy to the window overlooking the red buttes and the silhouetted plum-colored mountains to the west. The sun cast a late afternoon hue over the high scattered clouds. Randy, it's down to 75 degrees. What do you say we catch a breath of fresh air? He was about to speak when she put two large snickers in his hand. Deal. The small ridge behind the main building afforded an elevated sweep of the desert valley and the descending orange sun above those sharp ridges to the west. The clouds, dabbed and padded as if by design, framed the sky and the air was dry and comfortable. I did my stint in the service, but the nosy Fogarty probably already knows that. You seem to think, Cronman, that I have this out-of-control Snoopy personality. Those clouds are beautiful. Wait, wait, he said as he stood, the light tinting his body with a slight red hue. What? she asked as she stood next to him. Her head aligned with his shoulders and her hair remained straight blonde despite the sunlight's glow. She smiled and held his hands. Sit down. Let's enjoy the sunset. He nodded and they sat on the smooth red rocks. This whole transformation of my life is... She put her finger over his lips. I found, Randy, that if you don't step out of your work or your problems when you need to, that they consume you. You're pretty smart for a nerdy scientist. Yes, I am. And modest. He rested his arm around her back. I suppose you're a Miss Know-It-All with straight A's when you were a kid. Her smile formed as if she were proud of that fact. I knew it. And you took chances. He leaned toward her until they were eye to eye. Do you have my complete background? She nodded quickly. He closed his eyes briefly. Oh, crap. Like what? I admire your brashness and your ability to push the window. Like what? You have the advantage. Oh. Let's go with something inane, like when you climbed a tree with your best friend growing up. Randy grinned. Well, it was a great view. Danny wouldn't do it, but you climbed. So you were beyond the top of the tree. Why? Two reasons. Oh? Well, I knew I could best Danny. What was the other? I had to. I had to lift myself over that tree. Not just that I could see all of Lake Van Buren and the plains and the water towers and distant buildings. You don't understand. You couldn't get that view from the ground. Oh, no, I do understand, she said as the warm desert winds brushed his face. I do believe that we have broken every regulation in the book by being out here. That's your modus operandi, Randall Wilson. She let her fingers trail down his cheek. That's why they chose you. You don't know that. Yeah, I do. I don't think the mission you've been given involves anything evil. Why didn't they tell me that straight up? Maybe some things, Cron man, have to unravel in their own good time. Her long hair occasionally swept his arm with the wind as they stared across the valley. 
The orange sun, tight and crimson, producing a dark red shroud, and touched the tip of the darkened peaks. Her hair had a freshness, and she provided a steady reassurance that bolstered his perseverance as to what lay ahead. Chapter 15 Aircraft 316 Over Ohio August 19th, 2021, 1.10 p.m. Why do we have to deal with Decker at all? asked Randy as the jet zoomed toward Washington. Briggs pressed his lips. I'm under orders. We're touching down at Andrews for no more than 20 minutes. Then we're back to Camden Bay. Where's Fogarty, Austin? Briggs exhaled. She was ordered to review all data with the team in Wyoming. You surveilled us on the cliff, didn't you? I know you were on the cliff, she told me, but nobody surveilled you. I think they just needed her to do her job. It would be nice to have her back in Camden Bay. Randy, are you asking me to buck General Slater? Randy raised his brows. Oh, hogwash. Yes, sir. Briggs looked out the port window. I'll check with Nevada, Cronman. Joint Base Andrews, outside Washington, D.C., August 19th, 2021, 3.05 p.m. Alvin Decker, Ty Luce, held a coffee as he turned toward Randy, Briggs, and Slater. He looked like a chubby little character in a video game with painted-in box sideburns. A slow smile came to his face as if he had prepared to do combat with them. His three men stood. So, we meet again. Well, we were wondering if you'd show up. We all need your sarcasm, Alvin. Decker, still holding the coffee, moved up to Randy. Hey, Wilson, your man Fournier is an arms dealer and he set up phony corporations all over the world. He's particularly active in the Middle East. He moved very close to Randy's face. What do you got to say about that? Sounds like you have your work cut out for you. Decker's face locked in place, and then he shook his head vigorously. What? Mr. Wilson has never met anyone named Fournier, said Slater. And why should he be concerned about your department's investigations? He brought it up, said Decker, waving his arms. Him and his two-day trip to nowhere. Slater stepped forward, and Randy slid to the side. Alvin, under three separate sessions, with Dr. Wenzel... We could not learn anything about Fournier. But, General! And furthermore, you have a sworn statement stating this, as well as no knowledge by Mr. Wilson of President Richardson or anyone named Fournier. I think you're making up this Fournier resume. Let's see the intel. I can't share that right now. I thought so. Tell me this, General. Where was Mr. Wilson during the absence? We're satisfied Mr. Wilson does not have that answer. Decker waved over a stocky man in a dark suit. This is Special Agent Lowe. I'll let him talk with Mr. Wilson. You like Richardson, don't you, Wilson? Yeah, I like him. Lowe nodded. I see. You agree with his policies? I'm not political. I have no opinion. You may not have an opinion, but what about other people? People who might want to see the president out of the way. Randy stared at him. I don't know what you're talking about. What about Eddie Conover? We couldn't question him without his arrogant, rude counsel present. Will you get to the point, Lowe? said Slater. Lowe did not acknowledge the general. Conover was very evasive. I think this man knows something. 
Well, that would be a miracle, said Randy, smiling. You think this is funny, Wilson? I think trying to have an intelligent conversation with Eddie Conover is funny. That man spent time at Bristol Federal Prison for selling stolen goods. I know that. Does he own a gun, Mr. Wilson? Not that I know of. You're the agent. You tell me. Not that you know of, said Lowe sarcastically. Briggs spoke from across the room. Randy Wilson doesn't know any Fournier or actions by anyone named Fournier. He has no hostility to the president and has met with no group with ill intentions toward the president. Period. Excuse me, Colonel, you're acting like this man's guardian. As of right now, legally and morally, maybe I am. Why? It's classified. You're in a no-name division. We don't even know who you are or who you report to. That is classified. I want a complete transcript of Mr. Wilson's interrogation. First, it was not an interrogation. You do have Dr. Wenzel's report. He walked slowly toward the husky man. And second, my division is classified, so back off. You know, you really piss me off, said Decker. This is a joke. I'm going to meet with the president and request a complete transcript or media copy of Wilson's sessions. You'll do that, Alvin, said Slater. We're out of here. We'll be watching you, Wilson, he said, pointing his finger at Slater as he and, the men, as he and his men left the room. Briggs shook his head at Slater. His duty is to protect the president. I understand his frustration. I have already briefed the president. He's read the transcript. Decker will be told to do his job. Chapter 16. Over Lake Van Buren, Camden Bay, New York, August 20th, 2021, 9.45 a.m. The chopper moved across Lake Van Buren toward Camden Bay. Julie turned from the window on the other side. I had my doubts uh, whether you'd ever see home again, Randy. Randy nodded. I'm still trying to believe that the abduction really happened. You're living proof. I've come to think that maybe it's a good thing. She leaned toward her brother. I don't know if I could live with the abilities that you have. I can do something with my life, Mookie. Don't get me wrong, I love working on cars. Look what happened at the hospital. If I hadn't been there as cron man, Harry would be dead. You just used Eddie's slang. Well, I like it. I can still work on cars, and maybe I could do some good, save some lives. And the power? Do you realize how tempting it is to use it? You mean like Eddie's hand? Exactly. Briggs emerged from the front cockpit. He wore casual pants and an open-collared checkered shirt. Welcome home, Randy. Thank you, Colonel. What about this Fournier? Well, no one can find Fournier. Decker's lying. Not good. Julie, I need you to keep Randy's identity secret. What about Eddie? Eddie knows we're watching him, and we're paying him a small stipend. Randy laughed. Oh, cash! That'll do it for Eddie. And Harry Ridden is walking with assistance in physical therapy. We're going over there later. What about security? Baldwin has the floor secured. The chopper veered over the docks in the busy Van Buren Boulevard traffic. Eddie's garage was away from the skyscrapers and to the south in an older section of the city. To his right, the pointed Janus building reflected in the sunlight. I know Junior Janus is behind Harry's shooting. Well, I'll work with Baldwin and John Morton. If you need my help, let me know. 
Thanks. Junior just seems to slither about his crime empire. Sooner or later, everyone engaged in no good makes a fatal mistake. Eddie, in the outside parking area, waved at the chopper 500 feet below. The blade swept the air and dirt upward as they touched down. Eddie wore a new yellow work suit and aqua-colored sneakers. He stood next to a new black Mustang convertible. Tranquility base, said Briggs, looking at Eddie. The mold is broken. Well, there's only one Eddie, said Randy. Thank God for that, added his sister. The blade slowed and the pilot opened the hatchway. Brownie ran out and growled at Eddie as he passed. Briggs and a soldier emerged ahead of Julie and Randy. Eddie saluted Briggs. Briggs started to salute and then stopped. Eddie, you don't salute me. You outrank me, Kokomo. Well, then sign up for the Air Force. I should have an honorary commission for the hell I went through at the lodge. How about what you put us through? asked Briggs. I'll take the Congressional Medal of Honor for that. Heebie, heebie, heebie! You like my new wheels? You didn't waste any time spending your stipend, said Randy. Heh, <laughs> 5.0 leader. I took the truck for security purposes. Inside, Eddie, we have a meeting, ordered Briggs. Eddie's beady eyes rolled as he saluted again, and they all marched into the garage. That dog hates me. I told Pappy not to leave him here. Where is Pappy? asked Julie. Oh, he's out with Petunia. They went bowling. Eddie made a weird face and opened his eyes. What Pappy does is his own business, said Randy. Go, Pappy! With Brownie by his side, Randy panned the tire bins and the tall gray cinder block walls. The tires produced a distinctive rubber smell throughout the garage. Veronica's Audi still remained on the lift. Eddie, hasn't Veronica called about her car? Don't worry about it, Cronny. Then he turned to Brownie. And don't you start there, Cronny Jr. Brownie flashed his teeth at Eddie. Eddie stepped back. Briggs shook his head as he looked around the garage. He waved the two military men out of the chopper. Four soldiers now guarded Eddie's garage. A large white cube truck approached the garage, swung around and back to the outside door. The truck beeped as it neared the opening. Two more soldiers appeared from a small van and opened up a corrugated aluminum ramp. Inside were several huge, wood-crated boxes and a number of smaller crates. We're setting up a high-level computer and communication center in your back area. This is for Randy's use only, Eddie. Hey, I don't know nothing about computers. I don't believe you. That's why we've instituted a security code to keep the riffraff out. Yeah, I ought to charge you guys rent. And I ought to put you in jail. All right, Eddie, come on, clear out. You can get back in tomorrow morning. Randy looked at an open envelope from the gym. What's this? Eddie reached for the envelope, but Randy moved it away. Just a coupon. Then he pulled out a letter. Your check bounced on my membership, Eddie. It's a thought that counts, Kokomo. Story of your life. Setup will take about 12 hours, said the sergeant with an iPad. Everything is prefabbed and crated. Well, we'll just have to get it to work, added Briggs. Eddie lit a cigarette and jiggled his head. He exhaled the smoke and drifted into the work area. Conover, out of here. Okay, okay. Eddie grumbled as he headed out the main door. Oh, yeah, just want to be inside and Randy, see what's going on. said the sergeant. We have security cameras set up. If Eddie breaks the arrangement, you call me right away. One other thing, Colonel. Shoot. Do you think these beings will ever come back? Asked Randy. I'm not sure, but I doubt it. 
I'd say they've already done what they needed to do. The blue illuminated garage clock in the rear bays had just passed 1 a.m. Briggs emerged from the storage area across from five cars Eddie had procured from unknown locations. Eddie is pacing in front of his truck. How do you know this, Colonel? Come on in, Randy, he said, waving his arm. Randy moved into a darkened area. Ahead, a brightened room, formerly stacked with tires and radiator hoses, now had a slick blue floor and a concave set of brightly colored computers. But the light hurt his eyes, and he raised his hand. Then he moved back. What's the matter? Are you all right? asked Briggs. That light. The light makes my eyes hurt. It's like it's going right through me. Fogarty did note that in the report. In the desert, he said, turning away. I I felt the usual when you look at light, but not like this, like it got worse. This time you were coming from low light into bright light. True. Hold on, said Briggs. We need to change this to an indirect lighting system inside the module. Briggs speed dialed a number on his cell. Module? asked Randy. The control area in the quarters. I'll call Fogarty and get the specifications. Okay. Randy's stomach tingled. He had hoped that Fogarty would be back in Camden Bay. Randy sat on the chair with rollers. The low blue light originated from tubes installed around the baseboard. That's much better, he said, looking up at Briggs. When we utilize your services, Randy, you'll be able to access our intranet, as well as the newest computers, to perform your own searches and calculations. Randy looked at one of the monitors. Eddie slept against the blue tarps in back of his Tacoma pickup. I thought he got rid of that truck. No, he still has it along with the Mustang. Briggs sat on the counter in front of the computers. Dr. Silverstein will be here tomorrow. Can I use this facility for local trouble? Sure, you have a clearance. You thinking of Janice? A lot of crime in Camden Bay can be traced back to Junior. I'm sure he ordered my friend Harry to be hit. Everything will bounce back to me. If I can help, I will. Randy pointed to the row of monitors above the computers. What's with the monitors? Communications, said Briggs as he held a remote. Get me John Wharton on video. Wharton was at a baseball game and broadcast from his phone. He smiled broadly. The crowd noise was minimal. See you have the module set up, Colonel. We do. Is your team winning? Nah, the rollers are losing by six runs. You can hear a pin drop here. How are you doing, Randy? Long day, John. Sleeping by his truck in front of the garage. What a character. Listen, I'll be visiting Harry at the hospital tomorrow before he goes home. Call me in the morning so we can meet. I may have some clarification on some intel I received before game time. Can you make it, Randy? Sure. Good. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Well, that'll be good, John. Thank you. Fogarty will check in with the medical team about this brightness. We'll get to the bottom of it, son. I won't let you down. Chapter 17 Eddie's Quick Fix Garage August 21st, 2021, 9am As Randy grabbed the wrench, an image of the fluffy gray-haired President Richardson filtered into his thoughts again. He tried to shake it out of his head. Why am I thinking of the President? Somehow he's connected to a war. What's the matter, you in a trance? Asked Eddie. Hello? Calling all cars? Calling all cars? Shut up, Eddie. I'm thinking. Yeah, I tried that once, he said as he lit a cigarette. 
He combed his crew cut in the garage mirror. Eddie, you can't comb a crew cut. You never know what's in there. Ain't that the truth. Why are you working anyway? Because we don't want to be obvious to the world about what happened to me. Didn't you listen to Briggs? Yeah, I remember. It's Pappy who doesn't remember after all those sessions with Dr. W. Did he mention anything that Petunia... Is that a real name, Eddie? No, he didn't tell her nothing. Oh, he checked that one out, too. Petunia Rose Gardenia. Her mama liked flowers. Why does that sound like one of Pappy's stories? I saw the birth certificate. Whatever. I finished the Mustang, and then Agent Wharton is taking me to see Harry. He tightened one of the side bolts above the Mustang's rocker panel. Then he checked out the order sheet. Four tires. Hey, jump up there for them tires. Randy looked down the garage doors. Okay, stand at the doors, Eddie. I'll be a lookout. Randy set as if he were going to do a standing broad jump. He leaped incredibly fast and instantly appeared at the top rack. From the garage door, Eddie pointed with his cigarette in his hand. Hebe, hebe, hebe. Randy turned as if he were performing a dive into a pool and spun around with the tires in his hand right back to the Mustang. Happy now, Eddie? Man, we could make big money, big money, if it wasn't for that Ironhead Briggs. Better watch it, Eddie. The snipers might have you in their sights right now. Eddie ducked down as he did at the lodge and looked outside. Briggs is bluffing. Are you going to take the chance? asked Randy. Eddie peered around the garage door and checked the buildings across the street. I don't see nothing. They can hit a target from miles away. Hey, when you get to the hospital, there's a cutie nurse down there called Nanette. What kind of goes for me? Eddie, Harry told me on the phone last night she told you to get the hell out of her life before she called the cops. Nah, she's just frisky, you know. No, no, Nanette. Randy physically lifted the Mustang and placed the tire on the lugs. Eddie held his phone up to take a picture. Look at that, will ya? Hey, just keep your mouth shut and no pictures. Eddie looked outside over his shoulders. Oh, yeah, yeah. Randy studied the white phone cover. Where'd you get that phone? He moved in a matter of seconds and had all four tires tightened with the lug nuts. Briggs, he said I can call him direct if I need to or vice versa. Eddie handed him a red card with his picture on it, looking more like a mugshot in the right-hand corner. What do you want me to do with this? Just slip it on Nanette's desk. No, said Randy, heading for the module. You just finished the Mustang, Eddie. Oh, Wilson, the great and powerful. Randy showered and met with the medical team inside the module. Briggs had flown back to Wyoming and spoke on the monitor in front of the lodge. Dr. Silverstein says the brightness problem will be alleviated with Lieutenant Fogarty's shield. Randy pictured the Nevada sunset and Fogarty's smile. Good. How are your quarters in the module? Fine. We can expand the bedroom and bath for both quarters there in Camden Bay. No, just keep the digital code out of Eddie's hands. Eddie knows better. We put him on the payroll, and if he messes up, he'll be scared into submission. Randy laughed as a horn sounded in Eddie's parking lot. Looks like John Wharton is here. Right. Talk to you later, Colonel. 
the goateed Silverstein and three doctors were discussing data on a small monitor. He had a strong European accent. You're on your way to the hospital, Andy. John Wharton is out front in the Jeep. Silverstein smiled. Okay, what's so funny? Have a nice morning. Thanks, you too. Randy walked back through the monitor room and into the paint room. Eddie was under a Dodge Ram truck. Everything okay, Eddie? Mum's the word, he said as he rolled out from under the truck. Why is it I don't trust you? Hey, I don't even trust myself. I believe that one, he said as he exited through the open garage door. Eddie rolled back under the truck as Randy headed toward the bright green Jeep Wrangler. He rounded the back of the Jeep. Well, Agent Wharton, thank you for accompanying me to see Harry. As he neared the window, he first saw the long blonde hair. Then Fogarty turned with a huge smile. She waved like a windshield wiper in her left hand. Hi there, crime man. Fogarty, he exclaimed. He opened the door and Fogarty, in a light green sundress, leaped out and gave him a hug. She had that same freshness in her hair. What are you doing back here? Well, my things are already in the second quarters inside the module. I wasn't happy about being taken off this end of the project. Well, neither was I. I pressured Briggs. So did I. She reached inside the Jeep and pulled out a white box. And I have one of the new eye shields. Randy's smile remained fixed but was not forced. She handed him what looked like a single reflective lens that anchored to the ears. She lifted the shield over his eyes, polarizing and slightly shading in front of Eddie's garage. Then she pulled out a long flashlight and shined the beam at him. He only saw a light glare. No brightness. This light is extremely intense. Well, thank you, Fogarty. You're entirely welcome. We have a dozen of these. Brightness is your weakness. I still can't believe that Briggs let you back here. Austin knows I know what I'm doing, and I'm loyal, and he likes me. Randy smiled and looked into her blue eyes, heightened in the sunshine. Well, I owe you a dinner. Yes, you do. Now let's go see your buddy, Harry. Is your sister at the TV station? asked Fogarty as she drove the Wrangler along the Lake Van Buren Expressway. They have her on the air. Local news. Nothing to do with me tonight. He studied Fogarty's wispy blonde hair and exposed neck. She seemed more feminine in the dress. What about you, Fogarty? How did you get involved with Briggs's division? She smiled and her eyes lit up. I was brought along. What does that mean? One of the intelligence agencies recruited me when I was in high school. How did that happen? I was a child prodigy. I did studies of what you might call other dimensions from a mathematical and quantum physics point of view. Funny you don't look like a bookworm. Is that a compliment, Mr. Wilson? He leaned back in the seat and laughed. It is, Ann. No, I like being called Fogarty. Okay, Fogarty. Why not just drop your first name? I've thought about it. I was 17 years old when they brought me into the Seattle Encounter. Don't know about it. A couple, the Weatherspoons. Was that their real name? Asked Randy. It was. Weatherspoon kept telling his wife about these glowing creatures near the lighthouse. Mrs. Weatherspoon, Phyllis, finally followed him down the trail to the beach. They were gone for four days. Do they have the same powers I have? Negative. They both possess clairvoyant powers that they never had before the encounter. You have hints of that. The beings did glow, but not like your beings. Outlines in a bright luminescence and an inner energy flow. 
but they do have something in common with you. The mark on your hand, very similar. Maybe someday you'll meet them. They work with Colonel Briggs in extraterrestrial intelligence now. Then it's real. Dimensional travel, yes. And you can't tell the general public about any of these encounters. She shook her head. Has anyone ever become, you know, Cron Man? No one's ever had the abilities that you possess. That's why Briggs has done backflips and had you up in Wyoming. Then he had the module set up in the garage. You're like his prodigal son. Has anyone ever passed into another dimension? You have. I mean, visited their home planet and talked with people. I think many may have outgrown the home planet gig, homes and cities, but I can't say for sure. They seem to want to help humanity, but don't fully get it. She pulled into the hospital parking lot. You mean like this war or battle in the Middle East? asked Randy. They can see it, and they know it's bad, but they just don't stop it. Maybe they feel like we should do that, you know, free will, with a little help from our dimensional friends. Exactly. Harry moved without the walker next to the tall nurse with dark hair. She smiled as Randy and Fogarty emerged from the elevator. Two Camden Bay police guards stood at each corridor entrance. Well, it's about time you visited me. Well, I've been a little busy, said Randy. This is Fogarty. She's with Briggs. Miss Fogarty, glad to see you up and about, Detective. Nanette, we're going into the solarium, he said to the nurse. Randy shook his head. She was stunning, and Eddie was such a creep. No problem, Lieutenant. As they veered left, the cops assumed positions outside the open doorway. Harry sat on a vinyl chair, and Fogarty and Randy on the orange couch. Harry, you look great, thanks to you. Me? Oh, you mean the gunfire. Yeah, they would have gotten me for sure, Rand. The colonel's briefed me about the module. I think it's going to help us locally, too, especially with Junior. Where is Junior? He's taking a little trip to Switzerland and Italy. Nice to have money, said Randy. They're hearing rumbling about Junior donating to Richardson's campaign, I hear, said Harry. Nothing illegal about that. Depends on where it came from. The Treasury Department and a number of other agencies are investigating that. Junior is too slick to do something stupid. Like trying to take me out? Right. Bulldog Baldwin moved quickly out of the elevator. He dipped his head and shoulders as he plowed forward. As he entered the solarium, he spun around and slammed the door shut. I've just ordered additional personnel up here. Bulldog's jowls quivered as he spoke. We finally have IDs on the medical center attackers. Randy stepped forward. The guys that shot me. Yeah. Were they Junior's guys? Asked Harry. No, sir. Harry leaned forward. I don't believe that. Who the hell were they? From St. Louis, we traced dental and fingerprints and had genetic scans on them. The unsubstantiated statements on the street is that Janice's people called in a gang from St. Louis. It was a contract to kill you, Harry. Except they ran into Cronman, said Fogarty. Well, ain't that the truth. Bulldog looked out the door. We always have to remember we're in a bubble here and we can't let anything out. Junior is capable of anything. Junior's overseas, said Randy, smiling at the notion of Cronman. He's on his way back, said Bulldog, now marching to the window. 
I've been after that little bastard ever since he sold drugs down in Allentown. What exactly is going on down at the docks? asked Randy. Well, I guess we're all one team now. Junior's imported something. I'm not sure if it's drugs. He's, he's been so clever that the invoices and the shipping are all hidden. The shipment isn't even on the docks, Rand, said Harry. That's why they shot me. I was closing in on the transportation of the locations. What is it? asked Fogarty. Bulldog shook his double chin. I suspect stolen, but it could be worse. The shipments were offloaded three times, so we have no idea where the hell they are and where the shipment originated from. Can I help? asked Randy. Maybe. How's your hearing? Normal, I guess. It's better than you think, said Fogarty. Randy grinned at her. Good, said Bulldog. He pulled out a cigar but stuffed it in his mouth without lighting it. Surveillance is the only way we catch on to what Junior's doing. Chapter 18 Janus Company Helicopter, above Lake Van Buren, August 21, 2021, 10.45 a.m. From his helicopter, Junior eyed the sweep of skyscrapers along Lake Van Buren in the morning sunlight. He screamed into his cell phone. You stupid monkey, I'll have your ass fired so fast you'll be collecting unemployment before you get home. You get your ass over to those goons and you shake them down. He threw the phone onto the floor. What's the matter with him? asked Bill, picking up the phone. Junior looked at Bill Anson's dumb brown eyes. You know what a dimwit Dave Philby is? He imitated Philby's voice. He's afraid to collect the rent because somebody might get mad. Garner Heights is a tough area, Mr. Janice. Fire the bastard by the end of the day. I don't need this crap. Philby's been around since your father bought the Garner Heights development. Who cares, Bill? He said to the pilot, Are we the only ones up here? In this immediate area, yes. He surveyed the extensive spread of cargo ships, tankers, and cruise ships along Bayfront. For two years and several trips all over China, he had put the Shanghai deal together. Trucks would arrive at a no-name warehouse over the next month. All the electronic rip-offs would gradually be integrated into the U.S. economy. The profits would be extraordinary. Bill, call Dutch Cochran and find out why the President's re-election committee hasn't sent us an acknowledgement. It's coming. Yeah, he said it's coming, said Junior, trying to humiliate Anson. I want to talk to John Melville before noontime. Okay. And then he pointed at his executive assistant. No excuses, Bill. Junior checked the local news headlines on his second cell. Well, I know the President's aware of our donation. My donation, you idiot, he said, not looking up from his phone. Then he spotted a story about Harry Ridden leaving the hospital next week. Junior cringed when he saw Ridden's wife pushing the steel wheelchair. He thought back to the body armor. What's the matter? Something about Randy Wilson and that wild story Eddie Conover told on TV. And the body armor. Conover isn't a reliable source. He's a dummy said Junior as the helicopter banked toward the docks. But that dummy knows something. Have the boys pick him up and bring him to my warehouse 16. Yeah, but what can he tell you? Did I ask for your opinion, Bill? Just shut up. Then he called Rudy. Hello, Rudy Morales. What are you, running a social club, Rudy? Junior, when you coming back? I am back, doofus. 
They're bringing Con over, over to Warehouse 16. Make sure you get Brenda up to my office by 6. Now listen, Rudy. Find out exactly when Harry Reardon is leaving the hospital next week. Have somebody in the truck take him down. I'll do my best. No, idiot. Get it done right. Warehouse 16, Camden Bay Docks, Camden Bay, New York, August 21st, 2021, 12 p.m. Junior and at least a dozen Janus employees walked over the wooden boards along the dock. Junior munched on a grilled cheese sandwich and took alternative sips from his coffee as he walked. The lake air hung heavy in the summer, and the gulls' continual chatter as they circled overhead was only drowned out by Junior's pontificating. He gazed across the hundreds of container ships as he continued to the warehouse, one of his turnaround points for the overseas shipments. You people don't think big. That's your problem. Shipping goods around the country means a greater investment, said a lanky man in a gray suit. Yeah, so what? He stopped along a small inlet channel. You hire Milt and you make profits. Then you hire some more. He slapped the back of Milt's neck. Remember that. Stop thinking small. Donnie Seaver's dark-skinned biceps tightened until the veins inflated. He slowly hoisted a wood crate over the metal warehouse's table. Junior's right shoe tapped against the concrete as he waited. Seaver set the heavy crate soundly onto the table. How much is that weigh, Donnie? asked Junior. Two fifty. She'd make you my bodyguard. Donnie maneuvered a steel crowbar between the wood slats. He leveraged the crowbar so the nails creaked and the board moved outward. In a few seconds, he pried off the other slats. Junior pushed his way to the table. He flung the straw out of the box. Donnie helped him lift one of the bulky data computers out of the box and they placed it on the table. Hey, this is a perfect knockoff. And we pay one-tenth the cost, Billy. That's a pretty good investment, said Anson. The entire group of Janus loyalists applauded. Donnie lifted Junior into the air, and Junior thrust his fist upward. Billions! Billions! All right, everybody, scram! Once everybody had left, the gray-haired Dutch Cochran emerged from the back room. You're very uh, persuasive there, Maurice. You bet your ass, Dutch. With Red being shot, how do you expect to move the contraband? All these crates will be unloaded, then reloaded for separate shipments to separate warehouses. Risky. No, we've got 200 coffins split into 10 shipments with seven companies going to the warehouses. We'll lay low for a while, then ship the crap out of here around the country. His cell vibrated in his suco pocket. Yeah. Junior, Randy Wilson and his sister. Where are they, Rudy? Back. What do you mean back? Where the hell are they? I don't care who drives that truck. When they bring Ridden out, you flatten him like a pancake. He flipped off his phone. Bill stared at Dutch. What are you looking at? Somebody who thinks you take too many chances. Junior headed across the warehouse. I'm not listening to you, Dutch. Next time, Junior becomes fully aware of Randy's powers. And there's talk out there of a focused nuclear device with the president about to speak in Camden Bay. All the responsibility seems to be falling on Cron Man. This is Fitton looking for help from Cron Man. See you next time. 
I think. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittinbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.